This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, this is Rob Hart, host of the WBBM Noon Business Hour. We wanted to make you aware of a brand new podcast hosted by the show's producer. It's called Gains with Andy Gersher. So if you're a fan of the Noon Business Hour and especially of the experts we talk to every day, we think you'll enjoy this podcast. Give it a listen and be sure to subscribe on the Odyssey app or Apple Podcasts today. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have good news when it comes to markets and the economy. Now, if you've listened to the Gaines podcast, hopefully you're in some of the areas that have done well as of late. And, you know, we've kind of smelled out some of the stuff that's happened here. But I really don't have good news. I mean, the Dow theory has gone bearish. You take a technical look at the market. It isn't good, at least for the short term, which then could pose opportunities. But the news certainly isn't good. And there's a lot of ugly we're going to discuss today. But, hey... We're going to deliver the the truth, and that's fair, right? I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Gaines. Let's bring on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios out of San Diego. His website, as always, macrotides.com. Hey, Jim, always great to have you on the Gaines podcast. Things have gotten even more tense and markets look even more shaky than the last time we talked. Uh, They do. And it's kind of like we're getting doubled up here. Uh, Obviously, the Ukraine war uh, is a big deal, uh, but the markets can't draw any comfort from the prospect that the Federal Reserve might ease off and not raise rates uh, in the next handful of months because of the war. Uh, The reality is just the opposite. As we saw with the very high CPI number today, uh, the Fed really doesn't have a choice, Andy. Uh, They're so far behind the curve because they stuck to the, uh, you know, the the script of, oh, inflation is going to be transitory last year. And then when they started to move, they really were very timid in terms of slowing the amount of purchases and so forth. So I don't think they have a choice. Uh, in raising rates um, at the March meeting. And when Chair Powell testified last week in front of Congress, he opened the door to 50 basis point increases at potentially some future uh, meeting. So I think that's the, the rock and hard place that the market finds itself in is we have two good reasons to sell, and it's hard to come up with uh, any good reason as to why someone would want to buy right here and right now. It is crazy. And, you know, the other thing, too, is everything now is getting pushed to, oh, it's Russia, Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine. But, Jim, you and I have been talking about this for a very long time. There's so much more on the economic front domestically that is the true driver of markets to the downside. As as horrible as it is to see pictures on television 
and the you know Russian invasion of Ukraine, and and we've seen the energy thing, which yep. by the way in that recent CPI number hasn't even been baked in yet. We could talk no. about that, but um, there are sources out there that are saying, "Oh well, the high energy prices, this really high inflation, it all has to do with Russia and Ukraine." That's not the case at all. Explain why that's not. Yeah. Well, uh, again, every administration struggles, Andy, to accept, acknowledge that uh, policy errors were made uh, along the way. And Fe- not only not only the administration, but even at the Federal Reserve level. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. Now, to Powell's uh, credit, he did acknowledge that uh, uh, in the last month or so that the Fed got it wrong. Uh, they thought it was going to be transitory. Turned out they, it wasn't correct. So, to you know, he deserves some credit for that. And unfortunately, it doesn't change the reality. And, and then the All other the thing is, Jim, he should have listened to the Gaines podcast. That's because that's what we were talking about, even around Thanksgiving, yeah. that yep. he was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, I started writing it actually uh, in my monthly macrotides, Andy, like last July, you know, because there right. were so many signs that things just weren't improving supply chain, computer chips, uh, labor market tightness and so forth, that it just there was no sign of improvement. What was the Fed? Did the Fed get clouded by politics? um, I think what Powell has kind of come across, as you might remember, August of 2020, they adopted average inflation targeting. And the idea was we want inflation to average 2 percent over a complete business cycle, meaning both the expansion and then recession. Uh, what that indicated was that the Fed would tolerate near the end of an expansion inflation above 2%, knowing that it would then subsequently drop below 2%. The Fed kept policy easy in 2018 and 19. And Powell has noted numerous times that one of the benefits of allowing the economy to theoretically run hot was that the unemployment rate was low, inflation didn't pick up, but more importantly, lower income uh, workers wages went up faster than every other category. So for him, that was a great benefit. And uh, I think in January, he made a comment that we would love to get back to 2018 and 19. And I think um, that's an important comment to remember, because I believe that behind the rhetoric and tough talk that the Fed has to say at this point in time, that six, nine months from now, if and when inflation does start to come down and looks like it has you know, further to come down and you're going to need supply chain improvement, computer chips and so forth, that the underlying belief that Powell has is if we can, let's let the economy run a little stronger so that we can see more income gains accrue to lower income people. So that has become, I think, a tenant of his philosophy in terms of approachment to uh, monetary policy. Just the, and, the uh, just the opposite happened, by the way. Uh, some of the poorest folks are are by taking that policy and doing what they're doing. They've actually hurt some of the the, the poorest people in the country too. On top of that, absolutely. I mean, again, what happened here, uh, and you know, some of this is definitely the Fed's doing. Then the government, and this is something that the administration continues to not acknowledge, that last year in March when they passed the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, it was way past the time that anybody really needed rescuing. 
the economy was on recovery path. Uh, vaccinations were moving along as fast as they could. And the government basically gave a lot of money to people who already had a job. They just poured money into it. So if you look at what happened to the supply chain, it was only after they dumped all that extra money into the system where the supply chain all of a sudden got uh, you know, bottled up more than it had been. So it's not the only reason for any of these things, and I'm not trying to suggest that. But it did contribute to a big increase in demand at a time where people were a little reluctant to go back to work because of uh, Omicron and Delta last year. And so you had this imbalance created between supply and demand, where supply was being held down by uh, COVID and some other factors, and demand was being goosed by all the government money that was sent out. Let's not forget, the federal government handed out $6 trillion uh, in about 18 months. That's 30% of GDP. So not to acknowledge that we might have overdone it um, is impossible for them because, in fact, they would like to spend another three trillion dollars. I was just going to say that they're talking about printing even more money, and yep. you know, economics 101. I mean, when you increase the money supply on a limited amount of goods, hence inflation. So, you know, yep. we've seen, we've talked about how uh, you and I've in the past talked about the yep. energy missteps, just yes. un- unbelievable. Uh, on so many uh, levels. And then we've talked yes. about the Fed totally misplaying this. And, and we've talked about, you know, oh, it's going to be transitory, even though you and I have been talking about it for six months. You've even been writing about it even longer that it wouldn't be transitory. Yep. And then yep. you've just kind of talked about money printing in yep. all of this. So, yep. again, these are all things that have nothing. Well, the oil, the recent jump in oil, uh, Russia and Ukraine. Absolutely. Okay, about energy and what happened and all this. And the administration is going out of its way now to blame inflation on both, obviously, the Ukraine war. And the other thing that has been developing really over the last month or two is it's due to greedy corporations raising prices and taking advantage oh, of Oh, that's an, another rich you know, one we've heard recently. Oh, the yeah, greedy yeah. oil so, companies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, and, um, you know, meat uh, companies oh, yes, that uh, was another one. is investigating them. If you look at meat prices for the last five years, for three of those years prior to the pandemic, uh, meat prices barely budged. And it was only in response to the pandemic, labor shortages, uh, people at home eating more meals at home and so forth that really drove prices up. Elizabeth Warren made a comment about how profit margins are going up. Well, the reality is, um, is that, you know, most companies have kind of like fixed costs. You've got your labor, you've got cost of goods, you've got taxes, of course. And if all of a sudden people want more of your products, your revenue is going to increase. So that for each dollar of revenue before that increase, maybe you're making like, you know, the average oil company, most people don't know this, out of every dollar of sales makes nine cents. The average manufacturing company in this country historically has made five cents out of every dollars of sale, whereas Apple and other technology companies are like 25 to 30 cents. Oh, but nobody right. minds Apple ripping them off. But, oh, my gosh, let's have an investigation because gasoline prices went up. So my point, though, is Elizabeth Warren completely overlooks or misunderstands or both intentionally that if your sales go up uh, because of demand, um, more of the revenue is going to flow to the bottom line because your cost basis 
is mostly fixed. And, and, and so that's a natural. You don't even have to raise prices. All of a sudden, demand jumps by 10%, and revenue goes from a dollar to a dollar ten. And you were making nine cents for every dollar. Guess what? On a dollar ten of sales, you're going to make more profit. So, but this is convenient to deflect. And most people in this country, unfortunately, don't get uh, get almost none uh, in terms of education, in terms of uh, understanding how the economy works and functions. I mean, I've asked people, how much of every dollar of sales do you think the oil company makes? And most people guess 40, 50 cents. It's nine cents. Okay. Right. So. Um, and the anyway, grocery I, business, by the way, too, is a really, really tight margin business, too. The meat business isn't a, 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 a super highly 1%. profitable business. So we've yeah. talked about, I mean, obviously there's missteps and then a ton of blame that's gone around. Yeah. And and so now that's that's where we're at. And, yeah. and, you know, we talk to you often, Jim, about where the market is technically. So, yes. so we're going to, you know, we, we've talked about these missteps and, and some of the bad calls and some of the missteps from the Fed and, and, and other parties involved. Now, set the table, explain where the market's at and why there, there's, there's some problems. Yeah. Well, most investors, especially institutional investors, are long-term focused. In other words, they're looking out three to five years. And most of the time that works pretty well, Andy, because over a longer period of time, the market has historically trended up since 1932. Uh, Between 2009 and 2020, we had a 10-year business expansion. The market kept moving higher. But what happened in 2000, what happened in 2007, is that you get to a place where events develop uh, that then threaten to push the economy into a recession. Over the last 50, 60 years, the average decline in the S&P when a recession develops is 36%. When you're not in a recession, the average decline is 15 So that's, the, if you will, the big dividing line between are you going into a recession or not. And I think with the uh, Ukraine war, what's happening with energy, and the other side thing that's going to develop over the next uh, 6 to 12 months is the cost of food is going to continue to ramp up. I wrote about this in December in terms of the cost of fertilizer, which is used in obviously planting every crop there is. And the cost already had gone up significantly. Um, and uh, you know, to that original question, oil had gone from 40 to $90 in December before any talk of real serious talk in risk of uh, Russia going into Ukraine. So, you know, a lot of the energy inflation took place already. Uh, my point about the food, though, is food costs are going to continue to rise. And what's going to happen to a lot of poor countries around the world, like Egypt, uh, they import 80 to 90 percent of their wheat. And look at what happened to wheat prices. In 2011, the uh, Arab Spring uprising happened because of high food prices. So I'm afraid that a year from now, we're going to see articles, Andy, that talk about millions and tens of millions of people that are approaching starvation because they, there isn't enough food. And with the high cost of fertilizer in a lot of countries, um, they just simply can't afford uh, to use the same amount of fertilizer. They will plant less. The crop levels for corn and wheat will go down. Um, and the same thing is going to affect U.S. farmers to a lesser extent. So my point is, you go out a year from now or so, we're going to see shortages of more and more foods. 
And until all this resolves itself, you always have to wait until the next planting season to correct this problem. So to me, we're talking about energy right now, but I think down the road we're going to be talking about food, and um, it's going to be serious for a lot of underdeveloped nations uh, around the world. Uh, so that to me is the next kind of shoe to drop, um, and we're going to see food prices, as I said, in the U.S. to continue to march higher because of this imbalance that's developed. And the cost of energy, how it feeds into fertilizer, which then is a big cost in producing food grain. All right, so that's, you know, the economy, conditions on the ground. I, you know what, I made kind of a point earlier, we had CPI, Consumer Price Index yep. uh, data today, was running super, super hot. And the interesting thing is, that was from February, and that's not even, yeah. you know, factoring in the latest jump in oil prices. So with the, you know, with that economic and geopolitical and everything yep. going on in the background, you know, from a markets, from a technical standpoint, yep. let's hit on some levels. Tell the gains listeners, yep. what, you know, what levels you're watching right now and the downside that you see. Yeah, my view, you know, was when the S&P got to 42.23, January 24th, we were going to get a bounce, then drop below that. Uh, the S&P got down to 41.15, I believe, on February 24th. Then we got a bounce. Uh, I think the S&P is going to drop below 41.15. And I think the next time we see a close below 4,200, uh, I think it could open up a floodgate uh, where the, you know, we see kind of like the market has been finding this area 4,200-ish as support, and it keeps trying to bounce off of it. The bounces keep getting weaker. And, uh, you know, the, normally that then leads to a flush out. The, from the low in March of 2020, uh, the S&P bottomed at 21.92. The high in January of this year was 48.18. Uh, one of the computations that uh, I use is, you know, how big of a pullback based on the length of that rally can we expect? The 38.2% retracement is 38.15. So I think th that's our risk, I think, um, uh, over the next handful of weeks, potentially. So uh, I believe we're going to go below 4115. Uh, I think the odds are the S&P will drop below 4000. And I think this all could happen by the end of March. And if this this plays out, I mean, do you even see farther out even more downside? I know you're, you're, you look more on the short term, yep. but right. but as this is shaping up, um, right. you know, is there even more pressure beyond that down the road? Yes. I mean, up until the last couple of weeks, I thought there was a very low probability that the U.S. economy would go into a recession. Obviously, the dislocation with energy prices um, is going to hit lower income people. Um, but, you know, that in and of itself isn't enough to derail uh, the U.S. economy, because if you compare how much energy is used today compared to the late 1970s when the oil embargo occurred, we're far less uh, energy concentration than we were then. The thing that I think makes this different, though, is when all of us turn on our TV at night or during the day and you see what's going on in Ukraine, and now we've got an individual who has actually, you know, I'm you know, lighting up my nukes and so forth. I think for most of us, we view what's going on and you go to, you know, fill up your car, you go to the, uh, the grocery store, it's hard not to have a small sense of 
man, things seem to be like spinning out of control. And when that happens, I think the natural instinct for most people is to pull back. So to me, the greater risk for the economy, Andy, is that over the next month or so, as long as this stuff persists, we're going to see the majority of Americans pull back a little bit, not because they have to, just because they feel so unsettled by uh, the uncertainty they're watching and, and all the rest of it. So the risk of a recession has increased, I think, you know, a fair amount. I still don't think we're going to have a recession, but one has to respect it. Technically, I have a, a proprietary indicator I call the major trend indicator, and it's intended to identify bull phases and bear phases. Uh, in the last few days, it gave a bear market warning signal. So that you know, obviously increases the risk of a bear market. Normally what has happened in the past, like during the 2000 to 2003 bear market, 2007 to 2009 bear market, it'll drop into, if you will, bear market ter uh, territory. The market will be very oversold. It'll have a multi-week rally from six to 12 weeks. The major trend indicator will turn up. But if it doesn't get, get back above the bull market threshold and instead tops before it gets there and rolls over, that's when it provides a confirmed bear market signal. So the next rally is going to be critical because if it generates a bear market uh, confirmation signal, you know, my assumption, Andy, is that, okay, the risk of us going into a recession has just also ramped up. Um, so, uh, you know, my expectation is we get to somewhere between 3,800, 4,000 on the S&P. I think there's going to be a fairly decent rebound at some point in time, um, uh, you know, and, and then what happens next is going to, I think, tell us a lot about what to expect over the next, uh, the balance of this year. So, I, you know, a month ago, I thought, okay, we're going to get a 10 to 15% correction. When you and I spoke in December, my outlook was for a 10 to 15% correction as the market backed off as the Fed changed monetary policy. That's exactly what we got. Obviously, the Ukraine war has added on top of that a completely different, uh, you know, uh, problem. And, um, you know, one has to kind of adapt to what, what's happening, you know. So if somebody's throwing a, a fastball at your head, <laughs> you don't think about it, you duck. So to me, that we're, we're being presented with a completely different set of circumstances than four to six weeks ago. We've gotten a 10 to 15 percent correction. But I think the risk of a, a bear market has undoubtedly increased, and that has to be respected. A lot of us uh, in the gains nation uh, also follow the Dow theory, which is bearish right now. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. So as always, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops we drop gains episodes on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. We are back on Tuesday. We are going to do a 101 and take a deep dive on NFTs, non-fungible tokens. So you'll definitely want to check that out on the gains podcast next Tuesday. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. If you enjoy learning about communities, culture, and history, then Shades of the City podcast is for you. We will bring you stories like the legacy of Johnson Publishing Company, 
most notably known for Jet and Ebony magazines. Basically what the world said African-American people could not do, these magazines proved otherwise. Subscribe now to Shades of the City on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. Watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at-bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field. It's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at-bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Smart Portfolios in San Diego. And his website is always macrotides.com. Uh, as we were going into the break, we were doing plugs. Jim, go ahead and give us your plugs. You often also share an email uh, yep. that our Gaines listeners can ask questions, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, go ahead and give us your plugs today. Sure. Um, well, if you would like to receive the last weekly technical review uh, from this past uh, Monday, send me an email, Jim Welsh, W-E-L-S-H, macro m-a-c-r-o at uh, gmail.com and i'll i will send that out to you and you can also get additional information uh, at my website macrotides.com all right we wanted to talk about a couple plays here a couple things that we've talked about in the past that have worked and i wanted to kind of see where you're at a lot of the gains listeners we talked a while back and talked about how oil was going to probably have a good run. I, I think that we probably didn't see it quite like this, yeah. uh, not quite this high. But for us who got in on some of the big oil, some of the pipelines, some of the oil transportation aspects, some of the, the stocks that uh, we bought and in, 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 in the energy space have done really, really well, especially compared to the rest of the market, full disclosure, I'm starting to unwind some of those positions because I, I think that we've 
come a long way, and I'd like to lock in some gains and then maybe even save that dry powder for, uh, you know, some sales that we maybe foresee coming. Uh, yep. how, how, where, you know, with that oil run-up, uh, seems like we're getting a little close to at least a, a top. And, and like I said, I've been kind of unloading on some stuff that I've made money on. What's your uh, your take on that? Uh, I think you, you're being prudent uh, from a standpoint when things have huge gains in a short amount of time, you got to start selling a third or some percentage. And then the other issue is using chart analysis to be able to look uh, at the past history of any instrument that you're uh, invested in to see where uh, a top may form, or in this case, you had a spike up, and then be able to identify stop-loss uh, areas so that you're, you're not giving up too much of your gains because the market reverses pretty quickly. And we kind of got a hint of that yesterday uh, when a story about the UAE increasing production. I think there's going to be an increase in production from a number of sources in the psychology that has been driving the oil market. You know, this last little bit, I think there's a measure of speculation taking place, Andy, and you get a hint of any real supply starting to show up. Um, and that's the part that's going to unwind pretty quickly. So uh, I think you're prudent to, to sell into some of the uh, strength that we've seen, because at a minimum, my guess is there's going to be a consolidation where all of a sudden uh, oil stocks will trade in a range. You know, it might be a 7 or 8% sideways range from top to bottom, but I think that's likely because there's going to be other people who will do some selling into strength. So that starts to cap the upside in the near term. And then there's people who missed out on the move, and they're going to want to buy on a pullback. So that's how you get a range after a big up move is you've got two parties, one looking to cash in some profits and the other one, hey, I want to buy some more on a pullback or I want to at least buy something on a pullback. And that's what I think is the most likely outcome is that there's going to be a trading range in most of the energy issues. They always say, you know, the cure for a low su energy supply and higher prices is higher prices because <laughs> there's incentive to go yeah. get this stuff so uh yeah. Yeah. yeah um so is that what you're kind of doing too have you have you done well in some of the oils area well, I mean, or any the last time we talked or maybe it was two times ago you know i i talked about a chart and a, a trend line that came in in about 90 dollars a barrel on oil right and right you you said no i think putin's going in and i'm like well unless oil breaks out above this trend line and i didn't think it would happen um, you know, to me, I'm looking at that chart is indicating that Putin is not going to go in and we'll see a pullback. Uh, I was wrong uh, about that because in my mind, I just don't see the upside uh, that Ukraine is not going to willingly uh, allow Putin to, do, to stay, if you will. Um, I don't think he's turning back. And this brings up an interesting thing I've been thinking about the last couple of days. Mutually assured destruction. Um, you know, that was something that the, the world kind of got to where the two major nuclear powers sat down, looked across the table at each other and said, you know what, you've got enough nuclear weapons to wipe me out and I've got enough weapons to wipe you out. And therefore, it's kind of stupid for us to play that game. It makes no sense. And the world found an equilibrium point 
based on mutually assured destruction. I think that calculus has changed because now we, we look at a guy like Putin and all of a sudden, gee, it seems like he very well might be willing to play with nuclear weapons. Or he and, or he may or he or he wants you to think that. Yeah. Well the reality is he makes that statement and he immediately sees the West recoil. And okay, we gotta avoid triggering that type of a thing. Understandably, okay? But that's his calculus is that I can intimidate people because they're going to perceive me as being willing to use tactical nuclear weapons, um, and they don't want that to happen. That's and why you never is, cower to, you know, when you're on the playground, you never cower to a, a, a bully. In fact, you're better <laughs> off just, you're better off going out swinging. And if they say something, you, you got to counter. That, that yeah. You just kind of spoke to that. That cowering is, 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 is dangerous in itself. Well, again, I think for Putin, he looked at how how really stupid Germany has been in terms of making itself and putting itself in a position to be importing 40 percent of its natural gas from Russia and decommissioning nuclear power plants. Um, And and so I think he really looks down on Western leaders. He saw how, um, you know, President Obama drew a red line in Syria never did anything about it. He saw how uh, President uh, uh, Biden pulled out of Afghanistan. And so they, you know, guys like Putin look at things, okay, is there weakness there? And I think this is setting a precedent in that uh, China, looking at Taiwan, at some point in time down the road, they may look at it and say, you know what, all we have to do is threaten using nuclear weapons and they will back off. And that, I think, is the precedent that Putin is establishing here, that um, he's threatening. And for the first time, maybe ever, there's enough people think, you know, this guy might actually be willing to do that. And um, so the whole dynamic to me has changed going forward. And I'm not sure it changes unless, um, you know, somehow Putin has a, a heart attack along with the top five or 10 generals. Um, you know, and because I don't believe there are no amount of sanctions that will get Putin to leave uh, Ukraine. And, um, you know, Putin is controlling what everyone hears in Russia, uh, that this is a war of peace, that they're liberating Ukraine and the West is just picking on us and so forth. So the majority of people in Russia, and this is certainly true of the older Russians, you know, believe that he's doing something good. Because they're not hearing any other information. He's basically told Western journalists, you say anything other than that this is a peace mission, and you're going to jail. Welcome to war propaganda, too, though. (laughs) And there's a ton of it going around. It's a whole different ballgame, I think, that what we're witnessing. And um, it's hard not to be obviously concerned. Uh, Other areas, uh, we often talk about uranium. One of the plays that uh, I've been kind of playing with, thanks yeah. to you, is that Global X Uranium ETF and the ticker's URA. Uh, we've seen a lot uh, a lot of volatility in that, and yeah. uh, a lot of, uh, and that thing has spiked as of late as well. What, what are you doing with uh, your uranium position? I'm, I'm holding it. Uh, my expectation was that uranium would rally back up uh, to the high from last November, which was above $31 a share. Uh, my expectation is that uranium is going to rally back up to that level. 
and then we'll see what happens next. Does it break three and keep going, or you know, just take it in from there? But right now, the chart looks like it's going above thirty-one dollars a share, and you know, the world is coming around. Even Germany or the Europe, I should say, a number of weeks ago came out and said, "Yeah, we're going to have a little different view on nuclear power," um, and I think that's more and more countries are going to, I think, come around to realizing that renewables are important, but you need something that's going to provide stable, clean energy. And the reality is, Andy, I read a piece about a, uh, a week ago that if you look at the amount of energy that a nuclear power plant generates and you say, okay, we're going to uh, generate an equivalent amount of energy uh, from solar panels. Well, you're going to use 450 times the amount of land. What that means, you have to clear it of every single insect, animal, and so forth. Um, you, you'll use 17 times the amount of materials, cement and steel and everything else, as you would in a nuclear power plant. Most, I think, environmentalists don't, aren't aware at all that there's any serious downside to some of these choices. So I'm hoping that more and more people realize that in today's day uh, and age, that nuclear is a real option. Uh, Elon Musk, I think last weekend, came out and said, hey, we need to look at nuclear. Germany should extend its three plants and so forth. And I looked at his feed, and so many people were attacking the guy. And one guy made a comment about, yeah, look at Chernobyl. And it's like, are you kidding me? That was at the very end of the Soviet Union. Uh, and we're talking about technology that Russia had, which is nowhere near the kind of technology that we could come to, uh, to bear in 2022. So, um, uh, you know, I just think that there's a lot of people that just are so anti-nuclear that no matter what information and facts you give them, they're just not going to listen. Chernobyl but, was 1986, by the way. I mean, that's a uh, long okay. time ago. I mean, it's yeah. like saying uh, I feel uncomfortable uh, riding on the uh, a right flyer when I'm flying yeah. on an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean most people have more technology in the watch around the wrist than the lunar module did when it landed on the moon in 1969. Yeah, there's, there's something the to be said for 20, 30, 40 years yeah, of techno you know, technological advances. Yeah, so anyway, I think potentially uranium has a real future uh, as a choice. And, um, you know, so at, at a minimum, I think from a trading standpoint, a uh, move up towards 31 seems uh, likely. And again, this is not necessarily for the faint of heart. There's a lot of volatility in this thing. It can move three, four percent in a day fairly frequently. That's and that may not be appropriate for a lot of people's uh, temperament. But for the gains listener, you know, that, that gives us the juice <laughs> that, right up there, <laughs> that right we're up looking for, right? <laughs> um, you know, here, here's the one thing, and, and I've talked to a number of people about this. Usually when, you know, you have some area you can invest in. But right now, it is very limited. Everything is kind of getting uh, clocked unless you've been in yeah. energy or you've outright shorted the market. But uh, And I think for a lot of investors, there's concern that, okay, your, your investments are getting hit. And this comes at the same time that if you just sit with dry powder – the inflation is running kind of hot that your money, your dry powder is slowly losing its yeah. purchasing yeah, power mean, as well. So how do you do that? Or how do you navigate yeah. that as an investor? There's very limited places to get cover in this kind of scenario. Well, uh, you're right. 
but it comes down to uh, the lesser evil. And so to me, sitting uh, and having cash, waiting for an opportunity to develop, um, yeah, you may be losing some ground to inflation at this point in time, but I think that's far superior than putting money in the market and losing 10% or 15% or 30 or 40%. And a lot of stocks are down way more than the S&P. So the damage is more broad and deeper than what the S&P reflects. So to me, this is one of those environments where if the bear market is about to develop, uh, cash is a wonderful investment, irrespective of the erosion of purchasing power from inflation. It's much better to still have a dollar minus 3 or 4% due to inflation as opposed to being down 10, 30, or 40%. Right, that dollar so, being worth 30 cents. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, again, in terms of, you know, gains, listeners, and so forth, I talked about the major trend indicator. If we get a, a rally that lasts 6 to 12 weeks uh, and the major trend indicator does not signal a new bull market and instead rolls over and signals a bear market, that is a sell-short signal with that methodology. So I thought we were going to have a 10 to 15% correction. It was based on the assumption that, yeah, the Fed's going to change monetary policy, but the economy's not going to go into recession. Now we do have to recognize, I am, at least the, the risk of a recession is going higher. Um, so, uh, again, if we get a rally, the major trend indicator indicates a sell-short signal, then that to me will be the you know the signal to say okay time to go short as i mentioned earlier average decline in a bear market is 36% and uh you know just because the if the signal came with the s&p down 10% or 8% potentially you're looking at a big gain in terms of subsequent subsequent losses uh as the economy weakens i mean again what's happening here andy is rates are going up on treasury yields i mean this is the other thing to your point most people have a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stocks, 40 bonds. That's the classic, right? Well, historically, what's happened is the stock market goes down and the bond portion would go up, particularly treasuries and high-grade corporates. What's happening this time, and I wrote about this two years ago, that we're coming to a point where uh, bonds and stocks would sell off together. Because during the 50s and 60s and 70s and early 80s, that's what happened. It wasn't until 2000, that bear market, where bonds really provided ballast so that, yeah, I lost 40% on my equity side, but bonds were up 10%. That's not what's happening now. So what's happening is most people, if they have a balanced portfolio, they're losing both on the stock side and on the bond side. So, again, cash you know, looks much more attractive uh, relative to you know, that situation. This, it's providing real ballast for portfolios right now. This um, is probably one of the first money conversations I've had, extended money conversations I've had in two years without bringing up COVID. I mean, it's 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 kind of funny. I mean, yeah. in, in all of this, COVID's really moved down the list of concerns, and in a lo- the way this stuff is is. Uh, kind of spreading and, 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 and the cases have, you know, dropped. Yeah. It doesn't seem as, as uh deadly. Uh, it's really moved to the back burner. Uh, I yeah. mean, COVID, the, the fear of COVID and that Im- economic impact is all, but pretty much gone now. Yes. Yeah. Now, again, the risk here is that when we get to the, the, you know, the heat of the summer months, July and August, 
because that's what's been happening the last couple of years is people move indoors because of air conditioning in the south and even northeast as the you know temperature really climbs. That's when we're more vulnerable to another variant or breakout. So to me, that's going to be the next hurdle. But you're 100 percent right, Andy. Um, it's way down the list of threats at this point in time relative to obviously the Ukraine war and monetary policy. And hopefully this kind of um, a COVID kind of follows what happened 100 years ago. Going in after that second year, you know, there were variants that basically killed it out of existence and, and yeah. then it disappeared. So uh, yeah. at least, uh, you know, by the numbers and everything that we've seen, uh, we're at least headed in the right direction for now. Uh, one other thing real quick, and then I'll give a, I'll have you uh, give us your, your parting shots. Yep. One area that has uh, done well when markets get crushed in the past, and we're starting to see it pick up a little bit now, is precious metals, especially yep. gold. Silver, not so much. Silver's kind of been laying flat, but we've seen a little uptick in gold. Where are you with the uh, precious yep. metal trade? That is one that's often yep. uh, brought in when, when there is uncertainty and this kind of thing. Yeah, the gold broke out when it got above 1920. That was, to me, a very important level uh, and obviously quickly ran up to 2070. I think there's a chance that gold will pull back towards the 1960 level. So to me, what I'm looking for is pullbacks in gold and the gold stocks. GDX pulling back below 36.50. It might get near to 35.50 because I think the breakout signals that we're going to see higher prices in gold uh, and then the gold stocks following throughout this year. So um, what that implies is gold potentially then breaks out above 2070. And if it does that, then you're probably talking 2220, 2240, something like that. So, I, again, I don't like to chase things. It's, it's not usually a good policy. Uh, gold traded up to 2070, and I think it traded to 1983 within really one trading day. Um, so I'm looking to buy on a pullback in both gold and the gold stocks to the, the levels that I just mentioned. And you usually get a little bit more bang uh, for the buck, it seems like, in those gold stocks. Absolutely. When they come to life, uh, they can motor. Uh, you know, two to three times, whatever the metal does, you can get that performance out of uh, the gold stocks. Um, give us they, your favorite one. You've, you've, give, you've shared it with our audience in the past. Give us that ticker. Uh, GDX is the gold stocks. And I favor, I use IAU, which is instead of GLD. I think for most people, it's it's uh, more within the reach. Uh, GLD is $186, IAU is 38 So it makes it easier for people to, I think, manage uh, the positions with, uh, you know, an ETF that's lower priced, uh, you know, IAU relative to the GLD. I'm looking for the uh, bigger bang, so I'd go with the GDX when I'm going with the exposure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, and, and if you want to go a step further, then you do the juniors, GDXJ. So oh, yes. that one has even more volatility. Say that one again, um, Jim. GDX, GDXJ for yeah, juniors. For juniors, you GDXJ. Know. I'm going to yeah. definitely check that out. As, as we're wrapping up today's Gains podcast, and we've covered a lot of ground, and there's not a lot of happy things to talk about here, but obviously we're going to have to let this kind of play out. What's your parting shots uh, as far as uh, today's uh, conversation? Well, again, I think the, the market – 
Um, again, if we look at the low in 2018 in December for the stock market and then March of 2020, both those lows were kind of made possible because the Fed did a pivot on monetary policy from, you know, to aggressive easing, especially March of 2020. We then saw on top of March of 2020 fiscal stimulus. That's not going to happen this time. So the market is going to have to get flushed out. Uh, one thing I didn't mention earlier is there has yet to be a 90% down day. And by that, I mean, if, if, the, uh, if a, a, million, a billion shares get traded on the New York Stock Exchange, that 900 million, 90% of them are down volume. We haven't gotten that. Now, a lot of times, lows are associated with that kind of a flush. Is that a sign of capitulation at the bottom? Uh, you're spot on. That's exactly what it is when people throw in the towel. And what we've seen over the last month, obviously, people have been able to jump on energy, and it's worked well. For a while, they tried financials, and that kind of soured. Precious metals the last couple of weeks. So capitulation means everybody, they just throw everything out. you know. And I think there's the risk, uh, especially if the S&P closes below 4,200. If it's going to make its way down to that 3,815 target, potential target, um, you're going to see a capitulation day when that happens. Um, and I think that's a shoe to drop. The other issue, if you look at the VIX, uh, you know, after the low in March of 2020, Andy, you know, we'd have sell-offs and the VIX would spike for about three, four or five days and immediately come down. If you look at over the last six weeks, the VIX has just been grinding higher and higher and higher. So the character of this decline is completely different. And again, I think it relates to the fact that investors have two fairly significant reasons uh, not to want to be a buyer and potentially be sellers because they're worried about a, a recession developing in the next, you know, before the end of this year. So that to me is the, the problem. You need a reason to buy. And right now we have more readily reasons to sell. All right. So we're going to have to let this play out a little bit. And then certainly as always, you know, we bring you on all the time. So we'll, uh, you we'll know, be yeah, we'll, we'll be talking and, and Hey, thanks for your honesty and um, your assessment here because our discussion, I'd like to think, has saved some people some money as, you know, the end of last year, taking some yep. chips off the table and then moving into some of these other areas that have actually held up fairly well. So a lot of credit to you, Jim, on that one. Well, I'm, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, again, I, I believe in chart analysis, Andy, and um, every investor who listens to this should really get a book about technical analysis and begin to kind of bone up on it. It may take you three to five years, but it is indispensable, I think, when you couple technical analysis with fundamental analysis. Now you're getting the whole picture, and a lot of times technical analysis is a much stronger risk management tool, both telling you when you're right and, more importantly, telling you when you're wrong. And and those charts have really given us – insight to where we are right now and and that's that's a great thing and and that kind of just you know puts an exclamation mark on your point you know learn technical analysis because it can give you a whiff of uh maybe downside if it comes or yeah. uh the potential of upside all right yeah. jim hey as i'm wrapping up here you know as always you're you know macro strategist and portfolio manager at smart portfolios in san diego and your website macrotides.com and then you always are, are are happy to share your insight with specifically with the gains listeners give that final plug before we wrap up. 
Sure. Send me an email, jimwelshmacro at gmail, and I'll send you last week's weekly technical review. Just as an aside, I, you know, I got a, an inquiry a couple of days ago, uh, sent the uh, last Monday's weekly technical review to a fellow, and he wrote me back this morning. He said, you know, I was kind of thinking the market was going to be okay, but after I read your letter, I changed positions, and I made $7,000 this morning. Outstanding. That's what I want to hear. That's what that I want to cool. hear. You can well, make money idea. in markets uh, regardless of their direction yep. uh, if you, you chart it and, 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 of course, have a little luck. Never hurts to have uh, the, the leprechaun on your shoulder. Yeah. So, have by the way, speaking of leprechauns, uh, it's it's St. Patrick's Day weekend in Chicago. We <laughs> haven't had a good one for uh, darn two years now. So, yeah. uh, on well, on enjoy. on that note, and 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 a lot of people probably don't even know this, but Jim is a Chicagoan. Oh, yep. He was born in Chicago, so uh, outside of Chicago, and uh, went to St. Ignatius. Uh, uh, high school, and uh, hey, I always will love Chicago. It's a great town. Especially come St. Patrick's Day. Well, hey, always appreciate it, Jim. You're welcome. Thank All right. you. All right, that's going to wrap up the Gaines podcast. As always, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and then as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new episode drops. We are back on Tuesday and we're going to take a deep dive into NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And by the way, if you have any questions, I'll give you my email real quick here. It's andy.gersher at odyssey.com. And again, that's andy.g-i-e-r-s-h-e-r at odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. So uh, if you have any questions... Uh, hit me up with an email. But like I said, a lot of people have been asking me about NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and we are going to take a deep dive next Tuesday on the Gains Podcast. So you're going to want to check it out. Uh, there's a ton of opportunities in NFTs going forward. See you on Tuesday. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.